Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being here. We hope that you're encouraged by being here. It's encouragement to us that you are here. If you would be opening your Bibles to Mark the 16th chapter, Mark the 16th chapter in just a moment, uh, we'll be reading that as our text for tonight. Uh, this past Sunday morning, uh, Miss Poskovich spoke at the Waverly Congregation, and Ray Walker said that that was the best sermon he'd ever heard preached. Sunday night, several of our young men uh, conducted all the service at the Beckwith congregation. I hear that they did a tremendous job. It's wonderful the opportunities God gives us as a congregation to serve our community and to serve even brothers and sisters in Christ around the brotherhood with many campaigns and opportunities that come and are available to us. Keep in mind the opportunity to go on stateside In the 1st of June, the deadline is really today to sign up for that. Please take advantage of the opportunity. If that's something that you can do and you have the ability, uh, be sure and sign up. That is such a wonderful work. Also, all of us have an opportunity, really every service, but especially as a congregation, we want to work together to invite our friends, especially on Sunday the 29th of this month. It'll be our Friends Day. And if you remember in our Friends Day... We have our, our same Bible classes. Uh, there, there's no guest speaker on Friends Day. That might be a letdown for you, but that's just the way it is. We want your friends to see us, who we are. And uh, be sure to invite your friends and let them know how much you love being a part of this congregation and how much you'd love for them to visit. And perhaps we could make the difference in the life of some of our friends in the community. Be thinking about who you can invite. Be praying about who you can invite. And then make sure you invite them. We have three weeks uh, to get ourselves prepared to be involved in a very successful day. Let's always have other souls on our mind. They rolled the stone in its place. They sealed it. Some hoped that Jesus would never rise again how things would be different if that were so. The scriptures prophesying out of the Old Testament that he would rise again would be false. We couldn't say that the scriptures were inerrant. When we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, when we believe in the fact that he was incarnated, God in flesh, when we believe in the resurrection, we're talking about fundamentals of our faith that changes everything. 1.2 billion Muslims in this world believe that Jesus of Nazareth lived and He walked this earth and He had some pretty good teachings. But they don't believe that He resurrected. There's a small group of Muslims in England that actually believe that Jesus was crucified, but yet He survived His crucifixion, never died, and later died of natural causes. There is a gentleman... His name is Gary Habermas. He is a historian of the Liberty Unity of the Uni- of the Liberty University, and he has written 13 books about the resurrection. In his review of 2200 scholarly articles and books published about the resurrection in the past 30 years, he has found that 25% of New Testament scholars do not believe in a resurrection. Friends, I don't have a lot of respect for your intellect if you can become smarter than the Scriptures themselves. When we think about the topic of the resurrection, 
We think about something that defines who we are, our faith, and what we hope to become. Thomas Jefferson, our president, that he was president in 1804. He reached a point in his study, a very intelligent man. He was fluent in Latin and Greek and French and, and English. He gave great studies to the scriptures. And he began, in his mind, to believe that much of the scripture was rubbish. He said that man had missed or abused the scriptures. And he believed that it was his place to clean up the scriptures. And so he gave his own abbreviated version of the New Testament. He deleted things like the supernatural elements, the miracles, the virgin birth of Jesus, the announcement by the angels to the shepherds that Jesus was born, the wise men coming, the resurrection, and also the ascension. When he was writing to Dr. Benjamin Rush in April 21st of 1803 in just a personal letter, he said, Now, I am a Christian in the only sense in which he wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrine and preference to all others, ascribing to himself every human excellence, and believing he never claimed any other. You see, for Thomas Jefferson, Jesus was a great teacher of common sense. His teaching on morals and wisdom should be upheld, but understanding him only as a good human being. As a matter of fact, in his abbreviated version of the New Testament, and this is really why I wanted to use him as an illustration this, this evening, is because where we stop this morning, I want you to notice this is how his New Testament ends, that is, it talks about the life of Jesus. It's in the 17th chapter under the title, The Life and Morals of Jesus, notice 61 through 64. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never a man yet laid there laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Do you believe that that's the end of the story of Jesus? Can you imagine individuals believing that Jesus is worth following if in fact He said that He would die, that He would be buried, that He'd be resurrected? Even the Old Testament prophets said that He would. But yet now... We're satisfied to say that he remained in a sealed tomb? Thank God there's more to that story. I hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to read the 16th chapter, the first paragraph there. And then most of the other slides will be on your screen tonight. But we're in Mark, the 16th chapter. We just finished up from this morning's lesson coming out of the 15th chapter where they rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. And now the 16th chapter in verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. When the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it's very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. 
But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb and they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You see, as verse 1 begins, we see that this would have been the close of the Sabbath. You see, they counted their days closing out usually at 6 p.m. in the afternoon. So after Saturday afternoon would have been their official beginning of the first day of the week. They had fulfilled their rights of the Sabbath. They went to the marketplaces on that Saturday evening to buy spices that they could anoint Jesus. They arose early in the morning so that they could go to that tomb wondering, how are we going to roll this heavy stone away? Friends, as an angel had already come. The other gospel accounts tell us that the earth quaked. The angel came, sent by God to roll that stone back. The guards that had been set on duty that we discussed this morning, they trembled so much that they fell over as if they were dead. And for a moment, the angel, bright, white, set upon that rock, and he spoke to them. Now, by the time the ladies come, one of those angels is already gathered inside and he speaks to those ladies. He says that word, that sentence, that's just three words in our English and even closes with an exclamation mark. He is risen. What a beautiful declaration. He was crucified. He was dead. He was not only placed in this tomb, he was sealed in this tomb, guarded in this tomb. But friends, death could not hold him. And you better believe that Jesus did not need an angel to release that stone from the opening of the mouth of that grave. If death couldn't hold him, I assure you a rock tomb couldn't hold him either. You see, God had that angel sent apparently to roll that stone back just so everyone that would arrive that morning could see for themselves... He is risen. There was more than just a stone that was rolled away on that morning. There are many things we consider about this, and let's consider just two major points this evening. Look with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, let's consider some other things that were rolled away. As we consider the perception of the cross before Jesus died on the cross, it would have been a a horrible event. When we look in Matthew, the 16th chapter, you remember just a little bit earlier in this chapter, we're going to read verse 21, but you remember in 18, this is where Jesus prophesied that he'd build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we come down to 21 and he says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are not, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. How did Peter feel about the cross at this point? Now, obviously, this is before Jesus ever died on the cross. Well, Peter rejected the notion that his friend, that his master, that his teacher, the one that he would follow, the one that he would give up his boats and fishing, the one that he would leave some of his family behind to follow him. He rejected the fact that Jesus, his friend, his Lord, his master, his teacher would die on a cross of all things, a cross. That won't happen. You see, 
He saw this death purely from a physical standpoint and how it would take a man's life of one that he loved. And notice when Jesus answered him, notice he says, you're not mindful, and, and it's not on the screen there, but in 23 he says, you're not mindful of the things of God. You see, Peter looked at the cross solely from a physical aspect and Jesus answered him from a spiritual aspect. You just don't understand. In other words, Jesus could have said these words, you don't want to stop me from going to the cross. Trust me. You don't want to stop me. Oh, Peter would have been doomed. We all would have been condemned if Jesus would have been stopped going to the cross. But you see, before that stone was rolled away, that could not really be understood or appreciated. Look with me in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, even though this is written after Jesus died on the cross, it's almost as if you were interviewing Jesus. And the Hebrew writer has Jesus telling us some things, not quoting Jesus, but it's Christ's covenant, and it's written in truth. So we have Jesus telling us some things that were really a challenge for him about the cross itself. And in the 12th chapter, picking up in the middle of the sentence, it's in verse 2. Notice how Jesus describes the cross here. He says, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, here it is, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, some of you have thought about this many times, and there may be others here that haven't thought about this, but we all need to think about this so that we're on the same page in this study. Do you realize that before the stone was rolled away, the cross was a shameful event? Out of all the ways that the cross could have been described here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2, it's interesting that what was described was the fact of how Jesus despised. Now, think about this. This is Jesus despise the shame. I would have expected Jesus to talk about the pain. I would have expected him to talk about the thorns or the nails or the back that was ripped open or, or how it feels to suffocate when you can't breathe any longer hanging from a cross. But of all things, he spoke about the shame. The only righteous man that ever lived died an embarrassing, shameful death of execution. You see, as we see this next slide, we see some forms that are more modern to us today. When you think about the gas chamber that was used quite a bit there in the 1900s, when you think about the lethal injection where three drugs are injected into the veins and one puts the individual to sleep, one paralyzes the, the muscles, and the third stops the beating heart. There's not much to glory of to say, that's the way my friend died. There's not much to glory of to say, let me tell you how I'm going to die. It's going to be a great hero's death. I'm going to be injected with drugs that's going to kill me. Or still, even in New Hampshire and Washington, is that of the rope and of hanging. How many buildings have you gone by and people have gloried with a picture of a gas chamber hanging in their building? How many individuals do you know that their families glory in the fact that someone they love has been hung? 
just didn't happen. It just didn't happen before the stone was rolled away that anybody gloried in the cross. It was an embarrassment. It was a shame. It was a disappointment. And of all the ways Jesus described in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, through the Hebrew writer, the things that he endured the cross, he describes how he despised the shame that was associated with the cross. A man that was perfect died the death of an embarrassing execution. Why? Because he loved us. Because he wanted us saved. And it wasn't until that stone was rolled away that we as a human race started to realize the beauty of the cross. Friends, now when you and I sing the story of how we love that old rugged cross, that just wouldn't have been sung before the stone was rolled away. As a matter of fact, notice the change of tone as we go to Galatians, the sixth chapter. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, notice what he says as as we read in verse 14. He says, but God forbid, this is Paul writing to those of Galatia, and he says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus by whom, whom the whole world has been crucified to me. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, notice again what Paul said as he wrote to those in Corinth. The passage we just left, he talked about the, the one thing he would boast of is the cross. Why? Because the former perception of the cross was rolled away when the stone was rolled away. And now Paul would rehearse with those people of Corinth the first thing that he taught them when he entered into town. In other words, when we look at how this man approached his teaching on the mission field, this is what he said he did. Notice, we're going to read 1 and 2 to get the background here, but then notice 3 and 4. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. What is the gospel? It's what I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is the gospel that saved them? Therein they stand. Notice what it is, verse 3. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried... And that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you hear the shame of the cross there? No. Because now we realize in our Christian faith that the cross changes everything. Because it's in Jesus dying in the cross that we see the burial. And after that we see the resurrection. And now we see mounted high top buildings. And even on mountain tops we see a cross as an emblem of hope as a sign of, of, of life after death. When we look woven into tapestry, painted into canvas, etched into glass, carved into fine jewelry, we see the cross because it's no longer a symbol of shame, but because the stone was rolled away It now is a symbol to glory in. It is a topic to love. It breaks my heart that there are people, as we've begun this lesson tonight, people that would actually believe in the man Jesus, but wouldn't believe in the God 
Jesus. The one that not only has great wisdom to live by, but the one that was resurrected from the dead. Look with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, we see that when the stone was rolled away, not only the perception of the cross was rolled away, that was that old shameful perception, but we also see that some of the teachings that they might not have been completely misunderstood or confusing, but yet when the stone was rolled away, we can safely say this, they took upon themselves new meaning. It, it is not only the teaching then, but the example of Jesus that made these teachings now crystal clear after the stone was rolled away. Look, if you will, in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, you remember 36 and 37. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, before Jesus died on the cross, before the stone was rolled away, they could have had a pretty good understanding of what does it mean to love God with all of your being. But go with me, if you will, to the 26th chapter, and let's look. In the 26th chapter, at verse 37 through 39. Now we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As a human, He did not want to face the trial that was before Him. What does it look like to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Here we see a glimpse of probably one of the best examples of loving God with all of our being. We'll read a part of this. Look at verse 37. He took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see what he's saying here? Lord, I'm praying to you. And if this situation could be any different, I would like for it to be different. But Lord, if it can't be, I want to do your will. As a matter of fact, he somewhat changes the order in the way he says that in the following two prayers. In 42, he said, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. By the time he finished praying in the garden, he's realized the fact that God's will is not going to change. And so he simply affirms that and prays, Lord, let your will be done. What does it look like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now that we see Jesus' example, now that we see him hanging from a cross, now that we see him enduring the cross and despising the shame, and now that we see that tomb rolled back, that stone rolled away from that tomb, we now have an example that shows us not only... Is it the fact of sacrificing our will for God's will? But we see how blessed we are when we do it. You see, now we see a pure motive for doing the will of God. How's it going to work out in your life when tomorrow your will is one thing and God's will is another? I don't know. But I can assure you this. It's going to work out exactly the way it ought to work out. It might not work out by our will, But it'll work out by God's will, and God's will is always better than our will. Go back, if you will, again to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And you remember that second greatest command in verse 39? Matthew 22, 39, he said, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They could understand that, couldn't they? 
Before Jesus died on the cross, the stone was rolled away. They could have understood loving your neighbor as yourself, the second greatest commandment. Now, if you will, turn over to Philippians, the second chapter. Let's read just a few verses. We could read all of 1 through 11, and we could see how we really start to understand how to love other people when we start to consider how much Jesus loved other people. We'll only read three verses to emphasize this, but let's read 4, 5, and 8. But again... Think about how we have this teaching, but after the stone was rolled away, we understand it so much better. Notice what he said in verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now just before this, in verse 2, he talked about having the the right love for one another. And in verse 3, he talked about not having selfish ambition. And now he talks about show interest in other people. Well, how do we do that? Look at the answer in 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is he talking about? Of course, it's Christ's mind. Well, what did Christ do? Look at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What is Paul trying to help us to understand here? The greatest example that we have ever seen of someone loving others, not having selfish ambition, showing interest in others' concerns, was Jesus dying on the cross. How much are we supposed to sacrifice for each other? Second greatest command. Jesus lived it out. And we see that stone rolled away And we realize this, the only way you and I have a Savior is because He fulfilled the second greatest command. Now you realize we could do what we're doing right now, looking at something Jesus taught and then seeing how His life helps us to understand. We could do that all night. Let's look at just one more. Look with me, if you would, to Matthew, the 10th chapter. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, this one stands out. It's so significant in our Christian life. And I want to emphasize in this, especially in our Christian maturity. As we study this one, I want you to see where you are. And I hope that all of us can reach a point, at least that it would be our ambition in life, to reach a point that we were like Jesus in this and that we were like Paul in this. Look at Matthew, the 10th chapter, and we're in verse 28. He says, do not fear those. This is Jesus speaking, of course, before the cross and before the stone was rolled away. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, this is easy to understand intellectually, but it's a little bit different when it's lived out in real life. Are you willing to stand up for the Lord even when a sword is threatening your life? Well, it's easy from an intellectual standpoint to say... I love God, and I want to protect my soul and my relationship with God more than I want to protect my body. I'm fine with that. How much do you really love your physical life? And how much do you really love your soul? You see, that's what Jesus is testing us on here. Now, friends, there's something wrong if we love our physical life more than we love our soul. We'll make poor decisions day in and day out. We'll make eternal life-threatening decisions every day. Notice what Jesus showed us in His death. 
He showed us that he would suffer all kind of harm physically, even give up his life physically so that we could live spiritually. When the stone was rolled away, we had seen the greatest exercise in fulfilling this commandment that had ever been. Now, do you realize all of the other passages that we read after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that speak of the joy of life after death? They're believable. They have merit to them. You can put your faith in it because the stone was rolled away. Let's look at one example. Let's go back to Philippians, the first chapter. Notice this one example, Philippians, the first chapter. Let's read 21 through 24. This is where Paul is speaking of finding himself in a difficult situation. Now, notice this situation we're about to read. Be looking for this. He had a desire that he thought was better for him to go ahead and die, not because he was suicidal, but to go ahead and die because he knew that to be with the Lord for eternity was far better than anything this earth had to offer. But he also believed that to stay on this earth, that he would have the opportunity to teach more people, and it would be a benefit for those that were on the earth if another missionary was on the earth. And so this is what he wrestles with as we read verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That would have never been said if the stone would not have been rolled away. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul? What do you want in life? He says, selfishly. I believe in the resurrected Lord. I believe in eternal life. I believe that things in heaven are far better than anything that's offered on this earth. I'd rather go home. Paul, is that an easy decision? No. Because I want to take as many people home with me as I can. And if I can just stay a little longer, I believe I can reach just a few more. Paul, would you have ever said that if you hadn't seen the resurrected Lord? Now, he saw him through the scriptures, and he saw him through the miraculous revelation. And he would absolutely tell us beyond any shadow of a doubt. No, I wouldn't have believed it. I love my church family. I love my physical family. I love the work that God gives us to do on this earth. But I can say that if it weren't for those ties, I'd like to go home right now. I know it would be far better. Oh, I'd never say something like that if it weren't for the tomb that was found empty. The angels that declared He is risen and the eyewitness time and time again over those 40 days that saw the resurrected Lord. Tonight, can you say you'd rather go on home right now 
can you say that if you don't and you stay on this earth a while that you'll speak a good word for the Lord? You'll live for Him? You'll encourage others to live for Him? Friend, if that stone had never been rolled away, our faith would be crushed. But how much different is it if the stone was rolled away, but yet I don't live for the Lord? How foolish is that? Let's make sure that Jesus didn't die in vain. Let's make sure that He wasn't resurrected in vain when it comes to our own life and to our own soul. There's no greater demonstration of love and power that's ever been given. And how foolish we would be if we squandered that opportunity. Not just on earth, for an eternity. Thank God. The stone was rolled away. He is risen. If you've never been baptized into Christ as a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before men that Jesus is the Son of God and buried into that water to be resurrected from that water as a new creation, forgiven of sins, ready to live a new life. Friends, if you haven't done that, Tonight, you're risking so much. If you have begun that new life, but you haven't continued with that new life, get back on track. God is a forgiving God. God is a God that welcomes us home again. If you need to repent and and confess sin and let's pray forgiveness... Let's make sure that everything Jesus intended to bless our lives with His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that we're accepting it. What a foolish, foolish thing to reject the resurrected Lord. If we can help you.